Hi, and welcome to another Cyber Podcast episode. I'm your host, Christoph Limpelair. And in this episode, Roberto Rodriguez talks to us about what it's like to be a threat researcher at the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center. Now, we'll talk about how he got started, what a day in his life looks like, and what the differences are between threat research, threat hunting, pen testing, and all of the other big words. We'll also talk about some pretty cool resources that he's created and that could help you out. So with that, Roberto, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's really great to have you here. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you for the invitation and so looking forward to going through all these questions. <laughs> well, let's start off easy just to set the stage. How did you first get started in IT? Oh, wow. So I guess it's very interesting. So I started in IT because, let's say, not in cybersecurity, so let's say IT, directly just uh, help desk. It's pretty much my first job. Um, I was just trying to look for something different. I was a uh, serving tables before. I, I was working in restaurants. I was doing nothing related to IT. And then because of my you know, major um, associate and bachelor's, uh, it was kind of related to some type of IT. Um, I decided just to apply for an internship in this very small consulting uh, company back in Delaware. And then, so this is where I started just kind of interacting with computers, I would say, and getting pay, right? <laughs> um, because before I was using computers a lot, just video games, uh, social media, um, and, and I felt that there was a lot to do with them, but I just didn't know what you know, I could do, you know, to be honest. Um, so I guess that that was my first interaction with um, computers, customers, and also getting paid for you know doing that as a as an intern. Um, after that, I think it just turned into I just noticed that there was a lot of different clients that we were interacting with that did not take care of the basics, like the fundamentals of some of the security controls that I was learning even in in college. Like I was reading a couple of books and I could see some basic stuff like um, that I didn't see people doing. Um, I also got very interested in, for example, social engineering as well. Like I wanted to see how how easy that was for a threat actor to use that attack vector to actually compromise a, a, a company. And that was kind of like the, the first interaction I would say with what I would you know, it would be like the cyber security um, um, world and then after that I just I just took it to like what I would say everybody feels more identified with with you know SOC analyst work um, incident response and then I moved to a more like threat hunting role which include a lot of research you know proactive research a little bit and and then, and then you know there is a lot to to cover, but that will be like the basics of how I I kind of started in in the in IT. So when you became a SOC analyst, which I'd I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that transition happened right. from we'll call it regular IT for lack of a better term, but from regular yeah. IT to to more of the cybersecurity side. Um, when you made that transition. Did you know at that point that you wanted to do something in threat research or is the act of working as a SOC analyst kind of giving you the, a better understanding of, of different roles, responsibilities, and then realizing, oh, you know what, this looks pretty cool? That's a great question. Um, I believe that when I was a SOC analyst, I was very interested on in not only <laughs> as any, I would say most of the SOC analysts. Um, so kind of that I have interacted with and also in some positions that I've been uh, working as a SOC analyst, um, a lot of that was with, I would say, trying just to 
close as many alerts as possible. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that was kind of like the conversations around. We need to make sure that we take care of this alert, take of this other one. Um, but I didn't see too much of like what's going on behind the alert. So I started getting very interested into if, if this is triggering, I want to understand why it's actually triggering and getting into also the technology behind it. Like if this is triggering on a domain controller, you know, my first questions, right? What's a domain controller? Like what is actually happening in this domain controller? Um, that I guess unconsciously was taking me to the path of of asking a lot of questions and, and you know, be curious about what it is that is happening with my infrastructure, in my company, in my organization, understanding exactly why from this endpoint to this other endpoint, there is some type of um, you know, like anomaly, you know, happening or this unusual event happening in my environment. Um, and I think that that was what kind of started building up a little bit as I was moving up into some roles uh, to start asking so many questions that then it turns into a methodology, right? There's when you kind of figure it out, you know what, this is what I like to do. I don't like just to investigate too much the incident itself, like who did it as much. I like to understand if they did something on an endpoint how that was actually, you know, carried on. Like, you know, what the technology, what technology they use and how it was abused, for example. Like, I'm, I'm interested on, on, on that piece. And I think that that's what led to the research kind of like, uh, you know, roles. But I wasn't aware when I was a SOC analyst. I was just very curious and I wanted to, to also automate a lot of things. And if you want to automate things, you need to understand what it is you're automating. So, it just took me to different paths in, in, in cybersecurity when I started asking too many questions. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a small difference when you describe it, but in reality, that's a pretty important distinction that now looking back, that actually makes a lot of sense to landing in yep. this type of role. Really quickly, I have to ask, because I see this question asked all the time, how did you transition from regular IT, working on computers and so on, to becoming a SOC analyst? Yeah, so I decided. So I I decided to to get a little bit more into understanding social engineering. That's actually the first kind of attack vector that I wanted to to understand because that was easier to talk to to people, uh, especially clients that had never. Um, so, so I would say like you know heard about cybersecurity. We're talking about maybe six or seven years ago. Um, I think that now it's way hotter because of the news and everything going on. So people are being forced to understand even the basics a little bit more. Um, now, of course, that to how they implement it, that's a total different story, but at least people are getting more familiarized with these terms. Um, but I think that that was the, the, the first step that I took. It was easier just to talk about it, interact with people. Um, it was easier also, in my opinion, not that social engineering is easy, but the interactions with people to talk about phishing, like an email, right? It's totally different than, uh, I would say, you know, talking about on a specific Azure service being abused with all these technical, right, uh, terms all the way down to the, the specific code being used, right? So um, that helped me a lot to then get more interested into, okay, so if I'm going to stand up this, you know, phishing site, so you know, what is the payload that I'm going to use? And then that turned into understanding what are the you know, multiple ways that someone has already done it, either through blog posts or through, you know, Intel reports, for example. And that took me to another company. I just wanted to extend my knowledge um, into that. So I applied to another company in, in Delaware and they gave me the opportunity to start as a, let's say, very, very entry level type of role. And that's what 
kind of started like, oh, now we're looking to alerts. Now we're looking to like what's going on. Like what are the data that I have? Like, what is the data you know is looking like? Um, you know what correlations I can create. So that's what started just trying to extend that knowledge beyond just. Um, social engineering now how can you integrate that into the you know payloads being used etc right so that that kind of like made the transition i guess easier and so today your current role is a, a threat researcher at the microsoft threat intelligence center can you give us a quick summary of, of what the microsoft threat intelligence center is yes yes well there is a lot going on in that um in that organization so it, it's definitely a big team um, but so the main components, I'm, I'm just going to describe in a, a high level. So the uh, Threat Intelligence Center, they do have their own TI, Threat Intelligence Team, right? So it's not that, I would say everything is driven, of course, by, you know, threat actors and, and all the stuff like threat actors that we investigate and also do research and, and some of those techniques, but they have different teams. They have the Threat Intelligence Team, one tracking Asian state um, actors um, in general. So that it's, you know, there are different teams internally that focus on specific areas um, in the world, right? Just kind of keeping it high level. And then we have the Mystic R&D side. So that's the right, research and development in you know, US and the UK. And, and that involves a lot of different things. So we're talking about um, you know, development of, for example, applications or Python packages like Mystic Pi that would um, kind of enable other security researchers internally and also externally. So we want to open source a lot of these things. We have also like research, um, you know, collaboration opportunities with other teams to understand proactive, um, you know, collaboration opportunities and, you know, new attack vectors also. For example, we hear a lot of like people abusing Azure services. So we also do our own analysis on new services that could be abused. So we kind of go deep into those. And then we provide that knowledge to other teams like the Mystic TI folks, for example, so they can go deeper and see you know, what's going on in the world. Um, and there is other teams also that are in charge of, for example, detonation of malware on, um, you know, that, you know, pass our email servers, for example, and then drive, um, you know, get some intelligence out of that and then also share it with other teams at Mystic. And there is uh, also some collaboration opportunities with other services at Microsoft, like for example, Microsoft, you know, ThreatX for, for, uh, for cloud, for example, there is integrations with Microsoft Defender products, like MDE, like Defender for endpoint, identity applications, cloud, et cetera. We're kind of like plugged into all these different things so that we can either help drive new research or collaborate to maybe investigate um, a new potential attack vector. Um, so that's those I would say it's kind of like the, the general piece and there is a lot of engineering automation going on so that we can empower all the security analysts and researchers in the whole Mystic team so they can do their their jobs, I guess, faster and of course more efficient, right? So we're talking about using Jupyter notebooks to automate things, uh, all the way to maybe uh, start, you know, hitting a couple of APIs with different services, aggregate that data, share it with others. It's it's a it's a big operation, and and I think that it's, it's it has a lot of different teams that that kind of collaborate, and it's just a lot of sharing going on. So. That sounds like a lot of fun, though, and it definitely sounds like there's a lot going on there. So let's <laughs> narrow it down just a little bit more on you specifically, and maybe a, a good way to, to help us understanding what your responsibilities are would be to describe maybe a day in your life. Like, what what does that look like? You you wake up, maybe you have a cup of coffee or tea or something like that, and then you <laughs> log on to the computer, and then what? What happens in, in Roberto's life? 
It's, it's very interesting. Someone asked me that uh, yesterday, actually. Somebody asked me, hey, what does your day look like? And I put together a whole list of things that I actually... So as a researcher, right, you have different things in your backlog. Um, like, it's not that you can actually plan like, oh, this month we're going to do five topics, like five adversary techniques that we want to investigate. Um, it doesn't, sometimes one would take you a couple months. Uh, so you cannot plan if, uh, you know, start like planning specific things. But to me, so what I'm trying to do is I have, let's say, five to different six topics that I have in my board. And then each day depends how I feel, you know, depends on the priorities, depends on some of the, you know, like deadlines as well. I, I, I kind of pick what it is that I could do and, and then, right? So I would say my day starts kind of late. I would say around maybe 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. Uh, most of the time, um, also because my team is in the Pacific time. Um, so I like to get my cup of coffee. Sometimes I just, you know, get some water and then start my day like that. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, get my breakfast and everything and then start just looking into, uh, for example, like what it is that I have going on from a priorities perspective. Like there is a couple of um, meetings with other teams that would like to touch in, uh, talk about a specific um, topics or research ideas. So I kind of try to get into into the research mode, trying to go deep into what it is that we're going to be talking about, like try to prepare for a lot of the stuff that is coming up during my day. But then I always designate um, like at least maybe three hours of my day, I would say, or four hours of my day to focus on all these other things that I'm kind of planning to, to finish. So for example, we're talking about um, you know, helping to build simulation environments for other security researchers to do their own analysis, like simulate a couple of different techniques. So I'm the one in my team, at least in Mystic R&D US, that, that is, is kind of like putting together all these templates, trying to make sure that I'm covering a lot of different scenarios with those simulation environments. That's like one aspect of my of my role, trying to figure out that to help others. The other one is how we can start, for example, um, documenting all this proactive research that we do with other teams. So I'm kind of like right now in charge of trying to create this process from the input of what it is that we can do research on to maybe start dissecting the, the adversary tradecraft and then translate it in, into you know meaningful and output that could be operational, like knowledge to the Mystic TI team, data sets that we can share with the community. Um, that's also, you know, this whole process allows us to create different simulation environments once again, so we can share that also with the community. Um, yeah, there is also the standardization of research. So there is a lot of different things that I have to kind of pack in my day. So my whole week gets split into different topics. And I want to make sure that if I'm you know, working on something, it aligns very well with the next thing that I'm going to be working on. So for example, if I'm talking about collaboration opportunities with the community, which I do on Wednesdays, for example. So on Wednesdays, I collaborate with some folks in the community, talk about some, some new ideas, some research, how that translates into input for our next uh, conversation with internal teams. Um, and then that will drive you know, generation of data that will drive, once again, infrastructure. So each day would take me one piece of this whole process to, you know, to cover. Um, so I wouldn't say that my day, it's always the same. It is not. As a researcher, you have a lot going on. And it's just up to you how you manage, I guess, the, the, 
the type of work that you do. And then one big piece across every single day, at least what, what is the same across the whole every single day is documentation. So I like to document everything I do. Um, I think it's very important because that way I can share it with others. I could I could help others that would like to maybe help me or that would like to learn about all these processes. Um, it's something that I try to keep in mind that it needs to be part of the whole process. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm working with one specific service in Azure, Azure has multiple services. If I focus on one on Monday, I got to make sure that that's well documented. So if I go back to that specific topic next week, I can just either carry on from where I stopped or I can actually, you know, have somebody else to maybe take a look at it and we can brainstorm a little bit more. So, yeah, and that's kind of like the day-to-day -day a little bit, summarizing it because there is a lot going on. <laughs> of course, yeah, that's a really good summary that actually helps me a lot in understanding a little bit more of how the team is structured, what the responsibilities look like and whatnot, which leads me directly to, to the next set of questions I have for you because I think a lot of organizations and people tend to use different terms to mean different things or maybe even interchangeably, right? And as a beginner, it's just so confusing because maybe you are interested in threat research, but then you start researching threat research and different blog posts will describe it differently or talk about a different structure. So let's try to, to organize it a little bit more. If somebody's listening right now and they're very interested in that area, but they're just kind of overwhelmed and confused, how would you... How would you kind of describe where the role of threat research fits in maybe a typical organization? That's, yeah, I think that research, in my opinion, so it, it, it's in a lot of areas, but I believe that people define it um, people define it in different ways, and that's technically all research together, like it's the same. Um, so for example, I'm going to start from, from something you know, basic. Um, so a lot of companies are very reactive. Right. So, so when there is an incident, right, once again, the alerts, or maybe there is a, a partner that would tell you, uh, hey, something is going on in here and we saw this right, traffic from, from your organization or maybe going towards your organization. Um, that would start spinning a lot of people to understand the specifics of what's going on, etc. That could turn into a research threat research opportunity, right? Because you can actually get into input of your threat research would be that type of intel that you're getting directly from exactly what's going on in your organization, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that, that turned into, into the whole process. Some people skip the threat research and some people just go and say, okay, so what I'm seeing right now is this is specific, maybe command line, this is specific, um, I don't know, registry key or file being created. And then they go directly to creating that detection, which is going to then identify, if, I don't know, what's going on across the whole organization, or maybe share that with the community, let's say through a Sigma rule, right? So, which is totally fine because that's what you need to do right away, right? You need to understand what's going on internally. So the more areas that you will create to detect some of that um, initial kind of indicators, then it will be fine. And if you stop right there and then you move on and you just, say we're done here and then we move on to the next incident, you skip exactly what actually happened, in my opinion, right? Some other people will have different perceptions. So I think that to me, threat research would get involved into an incident response, right? You need to get people involved to understand exactly what it is that's going on. How is the adversary implementing the, the technology that it's abusing at that point? Let's say it's doing lateral movement via WMI. Do we actually understand how WMI it's uh, it's operating under the hood? Um, you know what data sets we can 
maybe map to some of those components internally. Um, or, or they maybe say, this is what we're lacking of, right? Based on our research on this threat, that it's abusing this technology, then we can start identifying some some gaps, some, some maybe recommendations for our team, or that could drive also decisions of other things, like buying a product if you want to get you know better visibility, et cetera, right? So research would threat research would be sitting there feeding all these other initiatives. It's gonna feed the incident response, it's gonna feed also, for example, what people will call detection engineering. Um, Sometimes people split detection engineering to be actually the science of uh, being able to come up with the logic that you can deploy and then operationalize it, be able to maybe create a a process at scale, right? That you can um, have, for example, a GitHub repo with all your detections and then have a pipeline that would fit them into your own analytics platform, et cetera, right? So that's the whole engineering under that. Some people separate that and say, now we have the threat research piece, which is gonna feed this. Some people put it together and say, no, detection engineering also includes the research of, for example, the, ex- the example that I provided, right? The VMI for lateral movement. So it depends on who you talk to. Um, I believe that threat research drives several initiatives and the more you centralize it, once again, of course, it depends on the size of the organization, depends on the resources of the organization. But at Microsoft, I'm kind of like pushing for let's centralize the research piece and let's collaborate with teams that are only, only want to try um, right detections. People that just want to sit on it, go to the data, say, I like what you're um, kind of recommending as an idea for a detection. Let me take care of the detection. Let me see how many for example, potential, right? False positive we will get, and let me see how we can improve the detection. There are actually people that just wanna do that, and it's totally fine, right? So I guess from a trade research side, um, going back to the first question, uh, it fits into all these different initiatives. It depends how you wanna actually approach it in your organization. And there is so many different inputs. You have the incident input, you have the red team engagement input, Right, you have also collaboration with the community or externally or internally input, proactive research, something that maybe no one has uh, talked about before in the community or in Twitter. So that that that's an input to start the whole process of researching that idea. Um, the other one also that I like a lot is curiosity. And of course, the one that everybody gets is in leadership. Right? So as you can see, thread research is sitting right there in the middle as a hub so that others can benefit from the knowledge that gets acquired, uh, knowledge that gets documented, can be shared with all these different teams, et cetera. And so then how would you compare that? How is that different from threat hunting itself? Are they essentially taking that information from the threat research team and then using that to actually find the threats? Like, how would you describe that? Yeah, so threat hunting, first, I want, uh, so <laughs> first I would say that threat hunting can be defined, of course, once again, just as detection engineering and as any other terminology <laughs> in different ways, right? In, in, in different ways. I feel that threat hunting could be a threat hunting action. Oh, let me go and hunt for this specific indicator of activity that I heard about. And you feel like I am hunting for a threat. Right, so that that could be one definition, right? And and that's what sometimes when you even see, um, you know, job uh, postings, you see, for example, right, um, let's say incident response, right, incident responder. You could sometimes see there that says 
and you will also be responsible to contribute to thread hunting operations. So you will be doing thread hunting. And to me, that's like, yes, uh, you will be hunting for threats. So just following following the, the word by word, you will be doing thread hunting. But if you define it as a process where I, you need to identify what it is that you would like to focus for the month, the outputs that you want to get out of it, the pre-hunting activities that you also know that you must do, like understanding the data that you have, making sure that you, you're actually correlating the data sources that you have in your organization is, is huge because you could say, yes, we're actually running this query. And then you figure it out later when you go into, the, into what you actually have, that your query is not hitting everything. It's just hitting one specific source of data that it's it's standardized to the, to the, to the query that you are writing, right? Um, so I feel that when you have this hunting process, there is where I believe you can also inject, of course, the research piece, threat research. It's part of the moment you get an input, you go through the analysis of that threat that you would like to investigate or, or that you would like to hunt uh, for. So I would say that threat research would be part of a threat hunting process, right? The whole methodology. Um, I believe that threat hunting, um, you are extending the threat research. And there is where, where I, you know, what I mentioned before, detection engineering, right? Um, as a threat researcher, I like to take care of the understanding of the adversary internals, like the, the specific tradecraft that we want to analyze. Like I would love to take care of documentation of that. I would love to say these are some of the ideas that we have to detect this threat, right? But then I would like to pass that to somebody who maybe is better at, let's say, for example, this idea requires maybe some statistical analysis, right? Because we need to make sure that understand that this you know, data set that we're trying to run this query against is, is pretty big. And there is a lot of different, um, I would say, events that are blending in or the, the threat is going to blend in. So we need to approach it in a different way, right? Not just a basic, um, you know, Boolean query like A and B or C, right? We need to do more than that or just a basic, right? SQL-like query or, or just a basic join. We need to do more than that. So I believe at that point, you can have your threat hunting team also get into that, that um, I would say, new type of idea. Let's go deeper, but now from a data analysis perspective, you can have that in a threat hunting team. But once again, it depends on the resources that you have. Some teams only do threat research, provide ideas, and pass it to the team that is actually building the detections. And of course, it needs to be communication, right? Um, so. It can be part of threat hunting. Also, it could be outside of threat hunting. Threat hunting, sometimes you just want to build detections, and that's fine. <laughs> so it's very interesting. You know, there is not a direct, like, this is what it is, and everybody should follow it. It does not exist. And right. I've been in a, in a lot of organizations as a consultant and now working for a big organization, too. Everybody defines it in a different way. And so that's why, for me, it's important the as long as you create a research team that is going to collaborate and feed that knowledge to other teams that are being called detection engineers, threat hunters, and whatever you want to call them, as long as you feed that knowledge to them, that's the goal. Whatever you want to call that, it's up to you. <laughs> so so it, it's very interesting how this whole thing 
kind of well, works. And to be fair, and I think you also touched on this a little bit, depending on the size of the organization, maybe there aren't enough yes. people to completely delineate those responsibilities. And so somebody has to wear multiple hats, or maybe they're just not as mature of a security organization yet, right? They're working on getting there, but they they just recently started or it's a long drawn out process. So yeah, it, it ends up you have you have blurring responsibilities, blurring roles. And then I think that kind of transpires in the community where somebody will be writing a blog post about it. And based on their experience, that's how they define it. And then you, based on your experience, that's how you define it. And then it gets kind of complicated. Um, but I think what's important from what you just said is to not get too hung up on that, especially if you're a beginner and you're interested in in pursuing this as a career. Don't worry too much about it. Just just keep learning, keep trying things out, and you'll just kind of naturally gravitate towards what I think you, you're better at and what you end up liking the most. And speaking of, exactly. Roberto, I want to I want to talk a little bit about your your uh, threat hunter playbook and some of the tools that you've you've developed, but I also want to be respectful of your time. So I, I do want to ask a couple of questions for those who are listening right now and they're hearing you and they're like, this sounds super cool. I definitely want to try and pursue this as a career, but I don't know how to do that. What would you say that they should focus on in terms of building skills and learning tools in order to help them prepare to become to, to, to be part of, of this type of career? Yes, that's that's a good question, and a lot of people will have so many different answers. <laughs> um, and so, my first thing I would say that there is not, as in my opinion, once again, right, <laughs> there is not a, a specific path that you would say I'm going to do. For example, some people see, uh, feel, in my opinion, based on conversations, that when you say SOC analyst. That's like tier one, level one. And that's not true 100%. There is a lot of things that you can do as a SOC analyst um, that you could actually impact the the whole program, right? So, for example, well, so starting from there, so, so there is not a clear directly step-by-step, -step, this is what you do first, second, third, fourth, right, fifth step. Like, does not exist in if you want to um, experience the whole cybersecurity, I would say, like landscape, like there are different things going on, right? So let's say, let's say as a you know SOC analyst, for example, let's say you start from there. Right? It's you know, level one, what everybody would say, right? level one. You 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 will get a lot of access to how some of these device assets in your organization or people in your organization are actually behaving, right? You, you're gonna be able to say and recognize patterns that, oh, in this environment, we get a lot of these alerts or a lot of events that are related to this type of technology. So that means that in this environment or in this area, they're actually using these uh, specific tools and then you start learning about your own environment. A lot of stock analysts that really take the time to understand what's going on behind some of the alerts, um, which doesn't happen all the time, of course, because of time. But if you take some of that time or create some initiatives internally where you can collaborate with others to say, hey, we got a lot of alerts for Active Directory in this area. Can somebody explain to me what's Active Directory first and how it's being used in here? Like what are the different um, you know, groups or, or for example, our rules or GPOs, et cetera, how, how are they communicating, et cetera. You can start building a plan of your organization itself. 
and that's not impossible because I've done it before um, in a previous organization um, in pretty much collaborating, collaborating with stock analysts. So I would say whatever you are, understand your environment a little bit more. Understand like what it is that, um, you know, what are the things that, identify what are the things that you don't know. For example, in my area right now, so I like to identify and put it in my backlog. This would be an interesting thing to learn. And that would create so many different conversations with others as well and collaboration opportunities. Um, the other thing would be focus a lot, in my opinion, on development, like infrastructure a little bit. I think it's going to help you a lot to first, don't depend on anybody to actually run a lot of these ideas that you might have. When I talk about infrastructure, for example, if you work in your environment with a certain SIM, nowadays all the SIMs or all the major, I would say the most known SIMs, I would call them not like the most advanced, but just the most known SIMs, um, a lot of them you can deploy in your own environment. It could be locally or it could be even in the cloud, right? So learn to learn about the tools that you're working with. So if you could deploy and a specific stack and a specific SIM locally or in the cloud, that would help you a lot to even do, um, start even using a lot of these features that maybe you don't know about. And that would take you to your, having your own lab environments at home, having your own you know, environments in the cloud, for example. Um, I like to build things in the cloud because in my opinion are way easier and are easier to customize, destroy, stand up and everything. Um, Having that skill to understand how to deploy infrastructure, it's gonna be super beneficial. Um, it's something that I highly recommend for someone to really get into because it doesn't matter what you do. If you learn how to deploy, for example, uh, it's something that I'm dealing with right now. I'm trying to understand how to use Azure Static Web Apps to integrate it with Azure Functions so that I could run simulations on-prem and also in the cloud. I do not understand Azure Static Web Apps, for example. It's something that it's still new for me. Like I just learned that like last week, right? So for me, if I'm gonna wait for somebody to tell me about uh, from the Azure Functions Static Web Apps team, for example, or at least reach out to somebody outside, sometimes it's gonna take time because people don't have the time to right, explain a lot of things. But if you learn how to actually deploy one, either through the portal, you will be able to understand some of the internals of that service itself. So just by being curious into what's going on behind this service and how can I deploy it, it's going to teach you so much about what it is that you want to do. Um, that would be a big one. I'm actually doing it every day. I'm deploying something new. Every day I'm trying to learn about something new. So it's a skill that if, if you get into infrastructure, it's going to take you places. Um, you will be able to collaborate with others. You'll be able to, for example, if you work with a specific team, you'll be able to provide some of the infrastructure that you believe is going to be helpful to continue the research process. Um, and you will learn so much about, once again, like how this thing actually works. As, as a researcher, you need to answer that question. If you do know how that works, then you are just going to be looking at the surface of what it is of that research idea that you wanted to kind of like take. Um, so that will be another one. And then I would say the last one, uh, I would say that if you're just starting, um, besides learning something new, because you know, we're learning every day, there is something new, understand that that everything that you see right now in, in InfoSec, a lot of things are so new 
that you can become an expert. So in double quotes, an expert. <laughs> to me, an expert <laughs> is someone. That, to me, an expert is someone that understands it and can actually share that knowledge with somebody else, and then has some experience about it. But it doesn't make you a genius. You just understand it. You maybe read a right book, and that's what you know it, and you get some experience with that, right? And you become an expert, <laughs> right? So you can be an expert, right? In anything you want nowadays in cyber and in infosec because of how technology is evolving so don't be afraid to just pick a thing and then try to understand what it's doing and and you know maybe get you know get good at it and then start practicing the same principles so i have this idea i have this specific technology let's see what it's doing let's let's understand it first right let's deploy maybe a sample of this uh, and maybe let's understand what data is actually being generated, um, what users usually would interact with this, what permissions do you need to interact with this. So you can ask the same similar questions every time you get into a research topic. So as long as you, you kind of like pick something new and you feel comfortable about it, you will do the same thing across other, other different topics. And I guess that that, in my opinion, from a research side, that, that would take you places because you will be able to understand something that um, not, a, not a lot of people will know, and you can drive so much from the defense side, offense side, offensive side. Um, so don't be afraid. Um, anybody can be an expert, to be honest. And I couldn't agree more in regards to the infrastructure as well. And to your point, right? You don't have to be a quote-unquote expert in how to deploy infrastructure across all these different types of scenarios and environments, but understanding how it works at a, at a basic level and being able to launch just basic resources that you can then use for labs, I think is invaluable for a number of different uh, industries or, or careers within IT, not just security. It's, it's really important to, to learn at least at a basic level. Um, a couple other resources that I would recommend are going to be a book that um, Roberto wrote, and it's an interactive online book called The Threat Hunter Playbook, which you can oh. go to <laughs> threathunterplaybook.com to check out. And then there's also a, a tool that you created that I'm personally very excited to try out after this episode because I was going through it, doing a little bit of research, and it looks super cool. I'm not going to lie. It used to be called Mordor. I think you said it was renamed to Security Datasets now. But yes, yes, it's yes. a so it's a project that provides pre-recorded security events generated after simulating adversarial techniques. Again, I the, not only does that sound super cool, it actually looks like a, a very helpful tool to be able to, to set up different kinds of environments, simulate some scenarios, try it out and just see how it works. Um, do you want to maybe add a couple of sentences to that as we wrap up the episode? Yeah, yes, yeah. so I would say that, you know, the 300 Playbook started um, as a project just to share some of these ideas um, to, for example, if you think about one technique or one way that someone could execute a specific action to, I don't know, like move laterally or dump credentials, etc. I just wanted to share, like, some of the basics that you maybe should consider, like, um, you know, for example, understanding what queries can get you to some of the behavior of, of, of that uh, or, or that indicator of activity. Um, and then kind of mixing it up a little bit with also some other concepts that you should consider that threat hunting is not just you know writing a query and then, and then running it and try to find something, right? There, there is more than that. So I was kind of um, sharing some of the you know, pre, um, 
you know, pre-hunting steps as well. Um, I was sharing also some knowledge behind some of the topics that I use in some of those uh, playbooks, uh, which I think is very important. It's kind of like speaking to, to what I do right now. If I'm working on a specific section, there needs to be a place where I need to share the technology behind it so that we can understand what's behind it, right? Um, so the, the 300 table also comes with a little library in there so you can see some of the topics. And once again, that, that was just an idea to share. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to be to be more active on that one, hopefully in mid-year or the end of the year. Um, and the other one, security data sets, it's just uh, a project that started as a, hey, can we simulate these, uh, these scenarios? And of course, not everybody has the infrastructure, right? So how can we help others that are maybe more proficient in, for example, analyzing data? They do not know how to simulate something, which is fine, right? Um, how can we share that? So security data sets started as that. How can we share data that we collect from simulations and data that also we did not want to define, oh, these are the two events that you must focus. We wanted to kind of keep it off let me give you a sample that will happen from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. or from, from 10.05 to 10.10 10, um, so that you can explore that. And then I'll, I'll show you some of the queries that I've used to explore that data. But then you do your own research. Maybe I'm missing something. Like maybe I didn't notice that this DLL that was loaded was actually part of the behavior. Um, I like to keep it open. Um, and I think that that also helps to expedite the uh, you know, creation and all the stuff. So yeah, uh, use it. it. It has a lot of different uh, you know techniques. It definitely needs an update for sure with more data sets, but um, I'm trying to cover a lot of other projects as well. So it's an open source project. So if anybody would like to contribute, uh, please let me know. And happy to talk about some ideas too of, of you know, for the 300 playbook. And yeah, and that's, that's pretty much it. There is more um, coming. Um, my goal is to share as much as I can on what I do, um, either on Microsoft or on my own, and try to help others because I think that there is a lot of talent out there. There is so much talent, um, but uh, but unfortunately, sometimes when you talk, uh, think about infosec, it, 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 it is very complex. It looks very complex, but you can actually uh, start taking some uh, initial steps that would expedite your your process to. To feel that you can actually to feel that you're ready for a you know for a new opportunity. There's so many things open source that you can do. So that's my my goal is to help others and empower others to get to that point where they feel more comfortable and and also showing what reality is. The reality is that today, tomorrow, you and, and I and a lot of people will say, I don't know about this. All I have to do is try to follow my methodology and and see where that takes me so I can improve my methodology or maybe scratch the whole methodology and come up with a new one. Uh, that's the reality of a researcher. Uh, so I hope that that helps people to not feel afraid and that they could um, you know, definitely you know, start their career whenever they want to. They just really need to take the first step and, and get in there. <laughs> So on that note, if somebody's listening and they're really resonating with what you're saying, they want to reach out or maybe they want to contribute to that project, how would you recommend that they connect with you and reach out? Yeah, so you can um, 
So I haven't opened my my uh, Twitter messages. I need to do that. Um, I just see a couple of people opening their Twitter messages, and then it just becomes like spamming, a lot of spam. Uh, but I'm going to do that, actually. Um, it's something that I've been asked a couple of times. So I'm going to do that. So Twitter would be uh, easiest, I would say, because Twitter is on my phone, so I can easily just uh, kind of jump to that. The other one is the, the OTR Discord channel. So OTR is Open Thread Research. It's a, it, it's a group that we started just to focus a lot on open source, not just create another Discord channel, maybe just to talk too much, but actually more collaborate. Uh, so we have still like, channels to talk about different topics, but we wanted to also open it to those that would like to contribute. So the OTR, there is actually a Twitter handle too, is OTR underscore community. It is, yes. Um, and then um, and then that one has the link to the Discord channel that you can use to join. And there you can find me as well. You can just ping me. Um, I'm, I'm there. And those are the two easiest ways, I guess, to directly just start uh, talking and contributing. So Perfect. Roberto, thank you so much for, for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time and, and you sharing with us. Uh, I learned a lot from this and, and I'm sure the audience was as well as well. In fact, thanks everybody for tuning in to the episode. And if you do have questions or if you have any anything follow up that you would like answered either by myself or Roberto, feel free to reach out to us and also just reach out to him and, and give him a big thank you for sharing with us on the podcast. Uh, and of course, be sure to check out the, uh, the Threat Hunter playbook. Now, immediately after this episode ends, members of Cyber's Discord community will be able to ask Roberto any question that they'd like. So if you'd like to have this kind of access to our future guests to be able to ask live questions, you can join for free by going to cyber.com forward slash discord, and we'll keep you posted on when our next episode will be. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And I'll see you next time.